Alright, uh, thank you Sian. I'll we'll start first of all by reading the scriptures. Uh, yeah, we shall start by reading the scriptures first. Once again, we're going to go through uh, from starting from John chapters 5 verses 17 to 29. Uh, today we're going to zoom in on verse 20 itself. So let us start reading the scriptures together. Uh, John chapter 5 verses 17 to 29. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the father is doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater work than this will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the father raised the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he, gives, and he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming, when all who are in the tomb will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So, shall we through verse 20 again? And then we shall look at this interaction once again between the Father and the Son. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than this will he show him, so that you may marvel. First of all, uh, I will break this verse into three parts. We will first look at how the father himself communicates with the son. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. After that, we, show, we will see into the so-called the work of the son, the instance of it, of their communication. In what he does communicate to him, he shows him all things that himself that does do work. And also we see the work that is done, that the son does, that you may have marvel at. So we'll explore these uh, few concepts uh, together today. First of all, we see a communication from the father to the son. We see the emphasis of the relationship between the father and the sons, first of all. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Everything stems out from this aspect of love. He loves the son 
as much as we human are being loved from our parents, what more than is the love of the God the Father towards His Son? You know, imagine it into our own perspective today. Our parents love us. We have an understanding of love towards one another. But all this love derives ultimately from the love that is within the Holy Trinity itself. That for us to understand love, for us to even know what is love, God himself first loves. And God's first love is not towards men, but the very love of God in itself is the love towards one another within the Trinity itself, within the three persons of the Trinity itself. Father to the Father to the Son, the one which is of the same nature, you know, having the same perfection and equal with Him, that they love one another in that sense, that they are of the same nature, they are both perfect. Christ is compliance to do this duty. Uh, yeah, not uh, yeah from love from the Father because of the love from the Father towards Him. That Christ see this need to do this duty, and this love is ultimately manifested in the love of Christ towards the church. This is the love that we see that Christ has towards the church. All things done and carried out are all because of love. Now, we see next we see the instance of Christ's communication with the Father. He does this, he does these things shown, uh, he does all these things because he has been shown by the Father. That he that the Father himself shows all these things to the Son. Everything that he is doing is to the Son. We see that communication, first of all, between the Father and the instance of the communication between the Father and the Son. However, it is important for us to note that this does not mean that Christ was ignorant about the work of the Father. Because first of all, we understand that Christ is in the bosom of the Father. And the bosom is not a common word that we use today, but it just means chest. That in the sense itself, uh, yeah, the Son is in the chest of the Father. It's being carried by the Father, being in the chest of the Father. And so, for the son to do anything, the son knows everything that is going on with the father. He's not ignorant about it. You know, often of times we think that as human beings, when we ourselves have a relationship with our the relationship that we have with our parents, talk about that love relationship we have with our friends. Often of times we might still not we do not know what are the plans of each other. You know, it's a very different case for the father and the son in this case. The Father plans out all things, but the Son is not ignorant of all the things that the Father is doing. In fact, he's fully aware of what the Father has planned out for the world. But what is the purpose of this, of saying this, that shows him all that he himself is doing? This was to say of the Father as Christ, as Christ consult him, communicating uh, the design to him as his equal, doing nothing on his own accord and without the Father, and he's, as he never did in the work of nature or of grace. This is something that we ought to recognize. You see, we make a distinction between 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, we thought about how the Father himself plans out the redemptive history, he plans out what is to come. We thought about the Son executing the salvation plan that he has for us by coming to this world, by becoming man, by, fulfill, by fulfilling the laws of God, by so-called um, taking upon the sin of the world upon himself, and ultimately by dying on the cross, and he was resurrected. And we also talk about how the Holy Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit comes upon man. He's the one that pushes man towards Christ. He's the one that points and guides man towards Christ, towards salvation. And ultimately, the Holy Spirit still dwells in man to teach man, to guide man onto that path uh, to glorification, ultimately to the path where after we die, we are born before God. However, even though we recognize these distinctions between each and every single one of them, there is no denying that ultimately all three of them are equal in what they do. All three of them are not unaware of what each other are doing. Ultimately, what they are doing is not in accordance of their own will, according to their own feeling, according to what they themselves perceive to be right that is distinct from each other. But whatever they see and deem to be right is true across the board. That all three of them recognize that what they do are the same. And so we see the perfection of the unity in the Trinity. Do they distinct? They never stop the communication. It is never a surprise one another in a sense. It's not as though the son does something out of the book. The father does not know it. And he's shocked. He's amazed. He's like, wow, that is wonderful. Or wow, that is terrible. You know, from a humanly perspective, that is some things that we might imagine because this is something that we see more often than not happening in our own lives, in our own so-called relationships. And this is the downfall of human beings. We don't have that perfect unity, we don't have that perfect unity of one another. That is why often of times we do things that might be shocking to one another, that might be out of the ordinary. That often of times our plans changes and we do not tell one another. However, this is something that we need to recognize as the nature of men. That we suppress one another, that we do things out of Towards others. Now, examples for this when we talk about the, uh, the Holy Trinity is the Father created the world. Uh, the Father, the Father did not create the world without the knowledge of the Son. Nor the Son's salvation work without the plans of the Father. This is the God that we worship, not of chaos, not of war, not of eternal unity and truth. This is something that we need to recognize. So. Regarding this aspect of unity, this whole aspect of communication within um, you are as, as a whole is neither. Something for us to learn is something for us to you know, contemplate a bit more about whenever it comes to talk, whenever we come to talk about unity, be it unity in the sense of marriage, be it unity in the sense of church, be it unity in the sense of Christians. How do we see this kind of unity? Do we model this unity in the truth? 
to perfect united two persons, three persons united together as one to only perfect perfect example of this creation. So whenever we think about unity, do we purely think about unity in the sense of historical aspect when we see people coming together to do works together? Talk about unity in other aspects. Oftentimes, when we talk about unity, yes, we come together, but we do not recognize that each one of us has a different thought. Each one of us has a different understanding of what is said in scripture. Each one of us has a different direction to go as a group of Christians. But is that ultimate unity that is out there? So, I think it's, it's helpful for us to go back and onto this. Scriptures when we talk about the unity uh, in Christ, then the unity itself must be grounded in the unity of God. And one of the biggest basis of it is the communication within the unity itself. So, as we go on to verse, uh, or go on in verse 20, it says here, and greater work works than this will he show him. So, what is this um, the word this referred to. Well, most likely in the con- context of the conversation that Jesus is having with the Jews themselves, <clears throat> the word this might have very well referred to the incident that has happened previously, the miracles that ha- that Jesus did to the poor men, the lame men, uh, the paralyzed men sitting at the pool of Bethesda, came to heal him. And so Jesus proclaimed that something greater than this will happen. So first of all, we can talk about the power of Christ. So uh, there's two aspects to this um, greater works that we can see here. First of all, we can talk about the power of it. And second of all, we can talk about the authority of it. First of all, we talk about power of it first. You know, there is power in Christ. And there is also, in a sense, a power in nature itself. There's a use of it. Use means what do I mean by that? You know, after a period of time, this uh, a signal or a disease itself might be healed after a period of time. Well, it takes time, first of all, and it might take some sort of means, which could be, in a sense, a human being, or what we ourselves call it, doctors. If you were to visit a doctor when you're sick, when you have a fever, doctors give you some medication. The medication itself is also a means. And then you go back home, you have a rest, you take a medication, you sleep, uh, whatever. After a while, you get better. So there is that power in nature itself. Uh, with the use of means, you get better. But even in the case of a broken limb, you know, sometimes when you're when you broken a leg, broken an arm, see a doctor, get a cast, whatnot. After a few months, people might not even know that this thing happened to you unless you talk about it. But by nature, by the passing of time, there is something that nature itself cannot heal. That is a dead person. That is a dead man. I believe that if we were to put a dead man in the nature without doing anything to it, he would seem to be more dead than he was five days ago. He would be rotten, his body would start decaying, um, 
yeah, maybe he has been eaten by some wild animals or so. This is just the fact of life. This is true across the board regarding all things, all living things. When time passed, the person will be dead. However, now this is something that we see different the power of Christ. This is something that we see different the work of Christ. We see further on in John chapter 11 of Christ how, how he raises Lazarus from the dead. Now this is a very interesting incident. Lazarus was there for a few days. He did not seem to be more alive than he was before. But when Christ came, he healed him. He has the power to heal Lazarus. He has the power to heal the dead. So what could have been done by nature also to the main person in John chapter 5 could not be done to Lazarus for later on in John chapter 11 to the dead. They do not have the power to give life. So this is something that we see also in verse 21. Greater work than this will he show him. That ultimately, that the Son himself gives life to who he knows, just as how the Father resists the dead and gives them his life. You know, this is something that we see here. There's a, almost like a form of imitation of how, the, how Christ imitates the Father. Once again, yes, there is the aspect of, of Christ, of Christ seeing what the Father does and doing in accordance with what the Father does, in the sense of an imitation, but also not so much of that. It just shows ultimately the equality between the Father and the Son. That the Son is capable of doing whatever the Father does. That the Son is capable of doing all these things. But the Son does not do it alone. The Son does it in accordance to the Father as we see constantly throughout uh, John, especially here in John chapter 5, verses 19. So, we hit the same Jesus, uh, yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah, we see that Christ raising Lazarus from the dead. And also, we even see this power in Christ's death and his own resurrection. Christ's death, that he has the power to save us. He has the powers to forgive, uh, to so-called take upon himself the sins of ours. Yep, and also with the same power, Jesus will also pronounce judgment upon the world, as we see in John chapter 5, later on in verses 27 and 30. Remember that this power of Christ was the same, always greater than the greatest prophet, the great, uh, prophet Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, the greatest people who has walked walk before us, Abraham. The power of creation, redemption of all the elect, the justification of men by his righteousness, and power over sins, and the cleansing of sins through his blood. It's all shown here. It's all summarized here. The greatest work man will see, the, the greater power that man will see in regards to his Christ. So, one question comes to us also, you know, today. When we live in a world where we don't see miracles happening, we don't have Christ walking around this world, do we still recognize and do we still see the power of Christ at work? You know, 
in, living in the busy society of Singapore itself, oftentimes we are distracted by the works at hand. We are distracted by our studies. We are distracted by earning a fortune for ourselves in the future. We are distracted by so many things around us. People go to, go to Universal Studios, go to cinema to enjoy a movie, etc., etc., etc. These are not bad things. I'm not suggesting that these are bad things. But how often of times do we stop ourselves and look into nature and see that this is the creation of God? That we see that there is power in creation, there is, there is power in life. How often of times we do not contemplate enough about life itself to recognize that there is power in life, that there is a creator for life, that there is ultimately the one that controls life itself. So this is something that I want us to you know, think more a bit about. Look into nature, look into the laws of nature, look into life itself. Do we see Christ and do we see the power of God within it? Next thing that we see about the work uh, the, the works of God, uh, works of Christ, sorry, that is of greater authority. You know, it's of greatest authority, first of all, then warranting this man to pick up his bed and walk on the Sabbath. The Jews saw this as do as attempting as a daring attempt, but Christ repel and do away with the old ceremonial law and usher in and institute a new set of ordinances for the world. The Jews did not recognize that. But we ourselves as Christians, when we read these things, we understand that Christ had the authority. He removed the old ceremonial laws. He introduced and ushered in a new set of ordinances that he would do away with the Jews. And ultimately, what the Jews would have to do is to marvel at these things. Sometimes we also forget the authority that Christ has. We often oftentimes do not recognize that Christ has the rights to do these things. I, some of us might imagine the Son to be just another follower of God the Father. Whatever God the Father does, the Son just follows. We don't recognize the distinction between the Father and the Son. And ultimately, they neglect the authority that the Son himself has been given from the Father. And he himself has the authority to do all these things. Now they look upon his works with contempt and indignation. He will shortly show them, and they will, he will shortly show them something that is much more amazing. That they will be shocked with amazement. Many are brought to marvel at Christ's work, whereby he has the honor of them who are not brought to believe, by which they will have the benefit of them. The next thing we also recognize in verse 22. He has the authority to judge. For the judge, for the father judges no one, has given all judgment to the son. And this is something that we also often forget when we think about the afterlife, but we don't think about the judgment that is to come. You see, there's two outcomes for this judgment. First of all, in verse 29, and come out those who have done the resurrection of life and those who have done the resurrection. Judgment. There's two ways that we can look at it. First of all, the negative side. 
we can first see that the authority of Christ is scary. Why? It's scary for those who have done evil. As mentioned in verse 29, we are going to be resurrected to judgment, the negative connotation to be punished for everything that we have done. This is the authority of Christ. However, as Christians, this brings us comfort. This, this is the positive aspect that we Christians hold on to. If Christ's authority, he has the authority to judge us, but only for those who have done good and resurrection of life. But we ourselves have done no good. But what we have done is to believe in him who has done. And he has imputed to us the goodness that he has done in the life that he has lived on this world. And so if he has the authority itself, he has the authority to forgive us of our sins. He has the authority to cleanse us of our guilt. He himself has done it all for us and he has himself has borne it for our sake. And so is it not such that because of what Christ has done and not what we have done, that gives us the confidence of the eternal life that is to come? That do we not find comfort in the fact that Christ has authority? Because of his authority, he saves us because of all that he has done, his authority. His authority, his, his death, his resurrection, he himself taking upon the sins of us, help us understand God's plan for us and give us the comfort of the eternal life. And so, as we continue the self, as we continue through the book of John, Will we ourselves not marvel at the works that Christ will do with his power and with his authority? Will we not also marvel at what Christ has promised to us to come? He himself has done by himself the proof of his divine sonship. He brought his proper life, his true messianship to confirm the faith of his believer to the glory of God. And they will marvel at all these things that Christ has done. And we today will also marvel at what Christ has done. So as we continue on with the study of the book of John, I think one thing to re-emphasize again, I hope that we do not look at John, uh, the book of John as just a storybook. It's just something that we can so-called learn from. But most importantly is that when we look into the book of John, we recognize that this is a historical account of what has happened in the life of Jesus and recognize that this is not just pure stories of this, but this is a written account of what Jesus had done. So we do not just think of it as a myth or a legend, but we see more deeply into the work that Christ has done as a true miracle and as something that has happened in the world. And from there, we ourselves will marvel We ourselves may ultimately confirm our faith because of what Christ himself has done to show us, to in a way prove to us he himself is God the Son. And ultimately this brings glory to God. And we all will marvel at these things that Christ has done. So I will end us off here today. I hope that we can continue contemplating about this relationship between the 
Father and the Son, and also how the Son works to show us the things of the Father, uh, the things of Himself, and also the things of the Father ultimately through Him. So um, I hope to stop us, uh, stop here, and to continue it uh, tomorrow. So let me close us in prayer um, as we enjoy the night ahead. Gracious Lion Father, once again, we thank you for giving us your word in John chapter 5, verse 20. May it cast upon us your Holy Spirit to illumine us, to show us the truth of what you were to teach us in John chapter 5, verse 20. To see the relationship between the Father and the Son. That the Father ultimately loves the Son and shows all things that he himself is doing. That we, we, as human beings, may marvel upon the works that Christ has done. As believers in Christ, that we may ultimately believe and strengthen our faith in the Lord Jesus. To know that Christ, all the things that Christ has done, is truth. And it has happened historically, and it has happened for saving us. Lord, we thank you once again for this account in the Gospel of John. That we may understand the faith that we have, and we may learn about the deity of Christ, and to see the relationship of the Trinity. Father, once again, we thank you. We pray us in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.